Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Talk. Two hours today with you till 6 o'clock. Then we'll turn it over to the dynamic tag team duo of Bo Bagley and Paul McKinnon. They'll be delivering you uh, a two-hour edition of Football Friday Night. So normally during uh, Chihuahua season, we do Football Friday Night where we uh, start and then we end it after the Chihuahuas. I guess there's always the possibility that we could potentially come back after the Chihuahuas if they play in like an hour and 45 minutes, but chances are that will not happen. Most likely you will get six to eight, the football Friday night, uh, two hour show today. And then Chihuahuas baseball at eight o'clock. Chihuahuas one game, winner take all PCL title game against Reno. They win. They'll play Sunday for the International League uh, Championship game, and that's how it's going to go. I'm excited about that. Looks like we've got a full house in our uh, Lubingo Studios today. Adrian's there. I see Angel. I think UTEP Zay is kind of creeping up. I see the uh, the peace sign. He looks like he's around there, too. Um, I like that. That is cool. The whole crew is here, Steve. We're ready. It's a big Friday. Angel Munoz handling things for Football Friday Night tonight. Nice. Sal Montes coming back for the PCL Championship game. UTEP Zay heading out to Chapin tonight as uh, the Huskies take on Chaparral. Good. Uh, I'm heading out to Coronado after this one. We've got the Football Friday Night crew in. That's a busy night here in the Lubigo Studios. Man, we're loaded, aren't we? We are loaded with uh, fun stuff for today. It's 100% right. I like that. Good. Very good. Um, I got good news. The UTEP football team landed about 30 minutes ago in Charlotte. The plane made it. That it was the biggest key for, uh, for this football game tomorrow, was getting to Charlotte today. Well, they got there. And from what I was told, the last 15 minutes was bumpy, but one of the smoothest landings ever. That's the uh, that was the report from somebody on the flight. So that is good news. Happy they're there, and now they're going to be probably heading over. See, I don't even know. Do they even do a walkthrough if it's going to be in the pouring rain right now in Charlotte? Or that's no? a good question. I, I wonder if there's even like sometimes I've seen it across college football where they'll do like a walkthrough in an indoor facility. I don't even know if they have one out in Charlotte, but that would be I guess the alternate plan to that, or just not do anything at all. I mean, maybe do it's as funny as it sounds, and I'm not trying to be funny, but do rehearsals in the hotel, like you know, in the in the different areas that you can try to find out. But uh, yeah, it might be an unconventional. Uh, run through for the miners. So right now, as it stands, winds are gusting up to 45 miles an hour in Charlotte, and they also have heavy rain across the whole region. But that's supposed to stop, and then tomorrow is going to be a nice day. It's going to turn out to be a pretty good day. So essentially, the worst is today. And UTEP got there, which is why they didn't cancel the game this weekend. Yeah, very uh, interesting, uh, you know, developments across the board with Hurricane Ian. Uh, as we've seen throughout the sports world, there have been, uh, you know, certain games that have been relocated or moved, uh, you know, from tomorrow or this weekend to, you know, early next week, like in a, on a weekday. Yep. But uh, now we're seeing, at least uh, as of now, things could change. But it looks like coast is clear, at least for now, for the miners. I'll say this. Uh, hundreds of flights were canceled in Charlotte uh, due to Hurricane Ian. Happy UTEP made it with their charter. That's important because a lot of people didn't get to Charlotte uh, in the last 24 hours. 
That's UTEP, exactly right. But UTEP did. So yeah, they, good for so good go. for UTEP. I mean, just getting in uh, for sure. And you know, one of the other things is this is a game they needed to play on their schedule. I was I was getting a little worried just for the miners, thinking that if they didn't get this game on their schedule, if this game ended up being like postponed or canceled, it'd be tough because they they this is one of those games where you circle. And if you're a minor fan, you hope that they can actually take a victory here to try to still pile up some wins and try to get to another bowl game. Absolutely, absolutely, but. With the weather now looking like there won't be any precip and probably pretty good conditions, that kind of plays into the Charlotte offense a little bit more, don't you think? Yeah, most definitely, because they've got their dynamic quarterback in Chris Reynolds, who knows the Miners very well, has played UTEP over the years, and uh, you know he knows Dana Dimmel's system left and right as far as their defense goes. So the UTEP def, uh, defense will be tested in their secondary in a big way. Uh, coming off a really good performance against the Broncos, uh, the Charlotte 49ers are going to try to try to expose some things in that UTEP defense but regardless of that I'm so curious to see how Charlotte comes out tomorrow uh, in this big matchup. So we've got uh, the Foss going to join us a little more than 10 minutes from now and then Reginald Walker Jr. who will be providing the color uh, uh, commentary for ESPN 3 for tomorrow's game uh, between the Miners and the 49ers and then 6 o'clock football Friday nights. So we got a good show today. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it really will be. Um, I'm really looking forward to speaking with Reginald next hour to preview this game. I'm, I want to know how it is out there in Charlotte. Aren't you curious to hear how it looks right now? Yes. How the weather is ever changing out there? I am. I really am. But it sounds like, um, you know, they just got to get through today. That, that's the key. And I, I don't know. Maybe they'll do a morning walkthrough instead of um, in, instead of an afternoon walkthrough or an evening walkthrough. Maybe they'll do it uh, tomorrow morning, get to the field bright and early, and uh, do it then, and then they can come back later and prepare for the game at 6 o'clock. I could definitely see that. I could see today being dedicated to more of a rest-slash-film day. Maybe they hunker down and watch all the film that they can, and then tomorrow morning they're out there and getting ready for it on a walkthrough. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, that's all happening. Uh, meanwhile, Hags is back at Las Vegas Park, and it looks really nice. Don't you think they got that oh, yeah. beautiful championship weekend logo going on with AAA baseball? And um, I would not be surprised if El Paso hosts this here within the next three to five years. This sounds like it's something, even though they've hosted the national championship before, this kind of a of a two-day potential event seems like it's right up the alley of uh, Chihuahuas and Mountain Star Sports. Well, first off, this event is so big year after – Well, I'm, and I'm glad that they brought it back, right, where you're talking about postseason baseball in minor league baseball. You're not having some kind of final stretch thing where it's – you're really – it's pointless. The final season, let's just call it what it is. It was it was pointless last year, and this year you have meaning to the end of the season with uh, the Chihuahuas and the Aces going up at it in a one-game winner-take-all. And I love that Aviators ballpark, Steve. That, oh, that's that cool. ballpark is so sweet. I, I That's one of those that I definitely want to visit at one point in my life. You know what's funny, too? They've got these like five or six palm trees in dead center field past the wall, and you know – they had to have built this ballpark around those palm trees because those palm trees are enormous. And as someone who has grown palms in the past, uh, I'm willing to bet just by looking at the size of those palm trees, those things might have to be somewhere in the ballpark of you know, 25, 30 years old. I mean, you can't just take fully grown palm trees and plant them. So 
Um, I'm sure that that was part of the process when they built the ballpark is to put it in the most scenic, picturesque area they, they could, and it looks like they've uh, they've accomplished that. Yeah, it looks like you're in Miami or something like that. Like, it looks super sweet. And uh, also the sign, like you mentioned earlier, the sign, the Las Vegas ballpark looks really nice. Uh, I just, I, I like all the things about this and the, the way that they uh, just, just kind of put this whole ballpark together. It's just a beautiful, beautiful ballpark. I'm with you. I am with you. All right. So uh, we've got a lot to cover on the show. Let's start off with what happened last night to Tua. Let's just let's just get right into it, okay? A lot of people didn't expect Tua to play in the first place. They thought that uh, with what happened last week against Buffalo, he would have uh, at least sat out a week or two just to uh, for, for the for just safety purposes. That's really what it's all about. And when he was playing yesterday and then got slammed to the ground. And that scene where they showed you, you know, his fingers curled up going into like his face and his face mask was some of the scariest. uh, That's probably the scariest post um, concussion type of reaction you're ever going to get. And they could say all they want about how he was released from the hospital, flew home with the team, watched a movie, joking around, all that kind of stuff. But the truth is. With everything the NFL has tried to do and everything the NFL has tried to portray from a PR standpoint, you could tell me all you want that two is fine, but that reaction after the, uh, the, the hit is not somebody who's fine. And seeing what CTE has done to so many football players after their careers have come to an end, you realize that this is a guy who uh, you, you can't just keep trotting out there. I mean, I can't believe that the Dolphins put him out there to begin with uh, yesterday. Me neither. I had no clue why he was. He had no business really playing in that game, and I get it, right? Like, first off, with the Bills, let's call it what it was. He he claimed at the time. I'm talking about Tua that it was a back injury. They threw him back in the mix, not because he was fine, but because it was the Buffalo Bills that they were playing, and they were trying to get a victory against them. And yesterday's game, they're trying to get a road victory against Cincinnati. It seems like the, this Dolphins team is trying to win at all costs, and at the same time, it's hard, right? Because Tua has not been exactly available over the past couple years. It's been injuries, uh, not head injuries. It's been leg injuries, ankle injuries, whatever it may be. He hasn't been on the field in the past two seasons since he's been picked up in the NFL. So I'm sure on his end, he wants to be out there. He wants to play. But at the same time, Steve, this is so early into the season. You could not only jeopardize your season, but you could jeopardize your entire NFL career if you take too many of these headshots. And I thought yesterday's injury just absolutely gruesome. I don't know why he had no business playing. I don't know why he did. I'm with you. I, I thought unnecessary is the best way to describe it. Really, there was no reason that it should have uh, that, that that should have happened. So I'm with you 100. Um, but it did, and unfortunately, um, you know the the end result is that uh, Cincinnati won the game. The Dolphins lost. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't bad, but he didn't play good enough to win. Threw a bad pick that really kind of doomed them uh, when you know my when Miami was driving. And, and in position to try to uh, take the lead. Um, but still, the whole thing, the thing, the thing with Tua just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. And, again, the NFL has to decide, look, what's, where are you, you know, with, with everything you've done to try and improve player safety, you can't justify this. You can't. You can't tell me that, oh, well, he was joking. We released him from the hospital. He's okay. The reaction you saw immediately after the hit, was frightening. It was scary. And immediately you said, oh, my God, 
what's, uh, you know, you feel for him and his future and his health, and you just don't want to see somebody uh, end his career like this. Look, we had this happen to UTEP years ago. Mac Leftwich played quarterback for the Miners. He was destroyed in a game against uh, New Mexico State, and that was in in, uh, Las Cruces years ago where he was sandwiched in between two or three guys, his head bent back in a way it shouldn't. It looked like he was uh, crushed. Goes to the ground, never plays again after that. That was the last game he ever played, and he retired due to concussion. I don't blame him. That was a hit that probably nobody else could have handled. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. You're putting, you're risking the lives of these guys. Yeah, I mean, that was, all, you know, the Mac Luffwich in, uh, head injury was real bad. You could even look at uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Metz, somebody else, uh, a UTEP quarterback who dealt with a lot of concussions during his time, which really hurt his career as well. Uh, and, and, you know, concussion should never be taken lightly across the board. But all these injuries, I, I feel like kind of playing through injuries is one of those things where you cannot do if you you put so much stock on your quarterback. I'll give another example. Why was Justin Herbert playing last week? I mean, he, he obviously is not healthy whatsoever with the with the rib issue that he's dealing with yet they trotted him out there they lost in a in a lopsided fashion against uh yep. the Jacksonville Jaguars who are obviously the better team and it looks like they're going to roll him out again this week against Houston I just don't understand why teams do this to their either. young quarterbacks in in efforts to try to win early season games it's about the end of the season not the beginning of the season and it's about the health of the player it's a franchise player we're talking about Justin Herbert's the franchise for the Chargers Tua's the franchise for the Dolphins. You know what? Protect the franchise. Protect the franchise. And they didn't. And as a result, you wonder. I'm not worried about Tua right now. I'm worried about Tua, you know, years from now. That's the concern. I'm worried about his long-term health and welfare and safety. Obviously, short-term is important, but long-term is even more important. It's the brain we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. One of the biggest things they said about with, with all these head injuries, it's not necessarily about the big hits. It's about the repeated hits. So it might not be this hit. It might not have been the hit last week. It might be the next hit that Tua might take. And that's sure. the worrying part is is you don't want to put him in a situation where he's vulnerable uh, for a career-ending injury if that's the case. He could be one hit away from retiring. Right, that's definitely right. Unreal. All right, the Fossil, join us next. If you want to weigh in today on the show, you can do so in so many ways. So many ways. 505-6009 on the phones. That's 505-6009 on the phone lines. Twitter, at 600 ESPN El Paso. You can also message us on our mobile app where you can chat and uh, in real time while you're listening to the show, courtesy of First American Bank. All right, more in a moment, including the Foss. Right now, let's go to Charlie and get this traffic update. Oh, that's the theme song. We continue here on Sports Talk. It means only one thing. It means the Foss is back with us. Steve Foster, who uh, is the host of Laying Down the Law, Sunday mornings on uh, ESPN San Antonio. He's also working out uh, for uh, Bowie, uh, Bowie High out in Austin. Not to be confused with Bowie High in El Paso. Although, how great would it be if you relocated to El Paso and you were like the voice of Eastwood Trooper football? I love it. Why not? Well, I mean, you'd have it's to home. move. You'd have to move here permanently, at least yeah, during football season. 
So, right, right. You know. No doubt. I tell you what, uh, Rui played actually last night, Stevie, and oh. won 50, 51-14. Oh, wow. But we're doing an additional. We're giving them some bonus high school football coverage as the LBJ Jaguars playing against the McCallum Knights. And I will be on the broadcast with my broadcast partner, D. Hansen, and we're going to have kickoff in about two hours. Oh, so you got bonus time is what you're telling me. Bonus coverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this week and in two weeks, we will have uh, the back-to-back Thursday night, Friday night. Foss in full effect over the weekend. It's good to be wanted. That is exactly right. Congratulations. And it's nice to be busy, isn't it? It is. Um, we certainly uh, enjoy that. Cappy, I got to give you some love. I saw uh, you, uh, is it the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, gave you the recognition for the radio. I saw with our guy, Matt Aguilar, uh, who's the boxing insider for our show, uh, among other uh, talented sports greats. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure that, first and foremost, the love is given and the respect wow. is given and due to uh, worthy uh, recipients such as yourself. I appreciate that. It's actually the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame, which was uh, something that has been uh, created thanks to uh, the one and only Lester Bedford, one of the best in the business, who has done so many good things. So, yes, but I but I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, I keep up uh, with you. Yes. I keep up with you is what I want to say. Uh, I do not uh, – I always want to support my peers. Thank you. It's, it's important. You, you should, uh, you know, don't hate, appreciate. It's always been uh, a staple of mine. Uh, if you're doing the right thing, Cappy, Adrian, your time will come. It will come. Allow others to prosper and get their shine when, when their number's called. Uh, I couldn't get the West Side in. Uh, with Cube today because, as Adrian reminded me, uh, the Eastwood Troopers headed over to play the T-Birds. So I, yes. I, I got to stay true to the East Side tonight. But you know how I feel. You know how I feel. Okay. Well, I I feel great. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, I we're gonna get Lester on the show next week to talk about the Texas Boxing Hall of Fame because I think that Good. bears uh, it, it definitely it deserves its recognition and importance in the Sun City. I'm happy you're working yeah. tonight, which means you're gonna be. Thank you. What are you, are you going live at uh, at what time? Uh, seven o'clock. Seven, uh, seven uh, central. Seven thirty. Seven thirty central. Okay. Okay. So you've got uh, you got two hours. How do they feed you out there before a game? It just depends where you are. You know, some some are a little chintzy. Some are a little chintzy. But, uh, listen, I, I don't go for the food. Um, there's so many places late night that if, in fact, you know, my mom always said, don't, don't you know, don't rely yeah. on someone else. You know, get yours in, figure it out, and, uh, and go from there. If, in fact, you can get uh, – some love with regards to um you know the stadium that's great what but, uh, um, what listen listen what 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 high school in Austin has the best spread what is known to be the uh like the Cadillac of a pregame spreads oh you know that's that's uh you know Lake Travis and of course you know 
Westlake, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the, the usual suspects. So when you say, I'll put my spread at Bowie against anybody. What does Bowie serve? Oh man, we got uh, anywhere from Rudy's barbecue to Chick-fil-A to, right. you know, various Mexican restaurants. There you go. Uh, just, out of cur- just out of curiosity, because I know the income level at Lake Travis and Westlake. Are we, uh, are, are we talking about like Ruth's Chris steaks? What are we talking about there? No, 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 just just okay. solid, you know, a full plate of food, you know, maybe bushes or, or golden chicks, something like that, you gotcha. know. Um, gotcha. right. Yeah, but, but you can count on having a meal for sure. Adrian, for the most part, it sounds like what uh, Foss is saying, we, we mirror here in El Paso, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Although I'll ask you this, Foss, um, what is your preferred choice? If there's nothing in the press box, what is your go-to late-night meal? Is oh. it a Whataburger? Is it you just go through a Whataburger drive-thru? So, so Plucker's Wing Bar stays open till 2. And my, my, uh, my broadcast partner, D. Hansen, is a huge Plucker's fan. Uh, if I'm headed to the house and I'm not stopping, you know it. It is the, definitely the Whataburger is is where you go. All right. Otherwise, you go to Pluckers, and uh, what yeah. do you do? You get yourself like a dozen wings? So your boy, always watching for his income stream, you always give these five free wing uh, handouts. So I get the five-wing combo and hand them the coupon for five more. I get two sauces. Last night I had lemon pepper and honey barbecue with the tater tots. How do you um, how do you get the five free wings? They they hand them out during the games. They hand out every sporting event in Austin. They're handing these suckers out. Okay, so whatever. Mine as of late came from the UT game I went to uh, against UTSA. Got it. You got your five free uh, pluckers wings. You saved it. Yes, sir. And then you just. Double your orders so you get 10 instead of 5. Yeah, I, I can't eat 10. So it is going to make a, 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 a delicious uh, second meal. I am a huge, and this is so funny, some people aren't. I'm a huge leftovers guy. I love, I love leftovers. Some people won't eat leftovers. I'm a huge leftovers guy. I think that's what made me have that 300-pound bench press, leftovers. How that's, do you, that's my um, story. How do you heat your leftovers, especially like leftover wings? How do you heat them? So I have a pizza tray with the holes, and I go 275. I put the foil down, and then I put the wings on top of the foil. I preheat for about 5 to 10 minutes, depending on what's going on. And then you put the wings in. You you get them in there for about 6 to 7 minutes. Then you keep them in there. Open the oven in the last four minutes on the ten is with the open oven so the heat can come out. Boom, you're done. Wow, you got a, you got a whole you have literally you have a whole process going. It's like an art form with you. I didn't realize that, man. Happy, my mom, rest in peace, taught me how to cook and bake. I can cook and bake, brother. I hear that. Have you ever uh, have you ever invested in an air fryer? That would save you some time. And it's coming and, next, I, I yeah. did my research two nights ago on the air fryer. I promise you this, when you buy an air fryer, you will never need to use the oven again to reheat things. You will find that you can put it in the air fryer, reheat it, it'll come out just as crispy and no grease, just like uh, the, the, original, uh, the original night. You'll be thrilled. 
that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Right. Hey, you know, that, that this is good tips because I know that there will be people uh, tailgating tomorrow all across Texas. So that is a great, great tip. Let me tell you this. was on the phone with Stacy Elliott, yes, the dad of Ezekiel today. I coached against him. He played for Missouri, Mizzou, and I was a grad assistant at Nebraska. We found that out uh, earlier in the year. Uh, a very cool thing. He loves just being the dad of Ezekiel Elliott. And he's as nervous as any other dad uh, before a game. Uh, he's gone to our tailgate. It's not mine, but uh, we've been adopted by a tailgate uh, right across from Globe Life Field. Vatos Locos and my guy, Mike Garcia, and the rest of the crew. And uh, excited about Sunday's game. We're actually going to do our show live from Vatos Locos, 9 to 11 Central, sasportstar.com. And uh, we may talk with Spacey a little bit about the game. Uh, I think this is another winnable game for the Cowboys. Uh, Carson Wentz, Jekyll Hyde, 40 points on a uh, one night for fantasy and gets it done, and then he's the normal, usual Carson Wentz every other time. And clearly that's why they're in the basement of the NFC East, but cannot be taken lightly. I want to talk more about this game, so stand by. We'll come back with the Foss and continue our conversation right after Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Wow, listen to this. This is you've already opened up a can of worms. Um so already Joe Rodriguez is going to be at the um Davaya game for homecoming tonight. So he is predicting steak and shrimp at uh, Del Valle High for the media ah. homecoming Ooh. meal. So Wow. Way that, above our pay grade. Yeah, I love it. That is big. And then uh, Coach Ryan Vidalis is hoping that Fabens has a full spread tonight. So they're already – uh, that's all we're doing. We're talking food, and everybody's getting into it right now. So that's uh, that's good news, Foss. Uh, as far as eating, the Cowboys want to just keep eating because they are, uh, you know, two wins in a row after losing Dak. They followed up the win over Cincinnati with that tough, hard-nosed win over the Giants. Now they get Washington, as you mentioned, the Commanders at home, uh, 11 o'clock on Sunday. And it really does seem like the Cowboys' defense has been the story with this team's resurgence, doesn't it? Uh, I think, as I mentioned, as the defense and the quarterback goes, goes your team. Yep. So, I love the defense. The defense always got me the ball. I, I, I may not have been the star of the show, but I, I, I did get plenty of cameos and, you know, best supporting actor. No were doubt. you, uh, just out of curiosity, were you a two-way player in high school? No. Strictly no. running back. That was it. Yeah, I did some D-back, you know, for Chicks and Grins freshman year. Oh, my uh, God. But, yeah. yeah. All right, that's fine. Um, but but the truth is, hey, the Cowboys' defense has been playing well, and ultimately, you know, Cooper Rush has also done very well. Uh, this could, I mean, listen, it's only been two games, but you could almost say best best case scenario if they beat the Commanders at which they should on Sunday, yep. and they go three and zero since Dak was hurt. Um, after that, you know, you still have Rams and Eagles coming up, but. You know, they, nobody thought they'd be in that spot to begin with. So, so far, uh, I would say the Cowboys have exceeded expectations. 
Yes, they're definitely on or ahead of schedule. And listen, it was funny. Someone said, oh, man, quarterback controversy. And I said, stop. <laughs> Just stop. You want your backup to be able to do what the backup is supposed to do, keep you in a game, and, and, and hopefully win a game. Absolutely. And, again, I know backup quarterbacks uh, with Jason Garrett uh, being a longstanding teammate and schoolmate of his, and then also Jeff Blake, who started on four different teams but also backed up the great Donovan McNabb in the Super Bowl as well. So there, you, you have to be of quality, and it's great to see what Cooper Rush is doing. It's a pleasant surprise. Uh, for I think everyone, probably not him. He probably believed in himself more than we did. But that's what really counts, and his team uh, supporting him. And I think really the play calling has been very good to suit his eye. Heck, he hit C.D. Lamb between the eights, and thank goodness C.D. made the, the, the tough catch because the easy one, uh, you know, so we'll leave it at that. Uh, Foss, speaking of uh, high expectations, uh, your expectations have exceeded on our on our show right now because in the middle of this interview, you were able to tweet out your coupon for Pluckers. Uh, my question <laughs> to you is, uh, do you just have coupons lying around your car so at any time you could go and save some money to go on uh, some of these places? Well, I'm wise. I keep them in a smart little compartment. So when I receive them, they are available. A lot of times, Adrian, I'll hand them out. Like the hop dotty one to the, to the right, the free shake. You know, that little kid in the stands or something like that, when they go, you know, have a meal, they got the free shake coupon. You know, it's not all for me. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of think it is all for you. By the way, why did you even, why did you even tag hop dotty if they weren't even included? Why'd you put them in if it was pl- just uh, as are they the Hop same? Dottie. Hop Dottie has been one of my sponsors since it, the first one opened on South Congress. Without them being a sponsor, my show may not still be in full effect. So anybody that's one of the originals, I always give them love, Cappy. All right, that's nice. And and I guess if you don't, then uh, they're going to probably think, well, what's going on with this? Why are you giving uh, someone else love? Well, 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 okay, let me give you an example. I have not lived the most years in El Paso, Texas. However, El Paso, Texas is home. You will always hear me refer to El Paso as home. You saw the Made in 79925 t-shirt. I've lived in Austin as long or longer than I've lived in El Paso. But Austin is not home. It is where I reside. Very important to make that distinguish uh, distinction. Okay, so when it's all said and done, and the Cowboys and Commanders, uh, you know, finish on the field, what's the score going to be? Cowboys win, but the Commanders make it interesting. I think you know, and I wasn't too far off last week. They scored twenty three. I thought they scored twenty four. I think they can score thirty against uh, Washington. Um, thirty to seventeen. Right. That's fair. Two touchdown, two touchdown game. I'm not really impressed with Carson Wentz, and I just love what the defense is doing. Carson Wentz so far this season, um, he is. Let me just pull up his stats for you real quick and see what Carson Wentz uh, has done and, in his games. And for the take Rams. out and take out the game that he was out of his mind. 
Well, he has thrown for seven touchdowns, 800-plus yards. So, I mean, but, yeah, I get what you're saying. I understand. One game, he was good. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Enjoy yourself tonight. Have fun. We appreciate the time. Thanks for um, sending us that Pluckers card that we can't use in El Paso. And, um, you know, we always enjoy conversation with you. Yeah. We've we got to get Pluckers possibly out in El Paso. How about that? This could be a start to something, Cappy. You do a lot. You and Adrian do a lot for the, for the city, uh, for the sports fans. Uh, trust me, to be able to connect every week like this, especially at least in the fall, is a huge treat. Uh, can't thank you all enough. Um, oh. A classic matchup tonight, Coronado, the T-Birds, and the Troopers. Uh, I'll be uh, looking at halftime and, at some timeouts to see what the score is when that gets going. But, uh, yeah, this is a classic matchup. Hopefully we get Drew Pearson to call in on Sunday. Uh, He's had some tremendous Dallas-Washington games just for some context over the decades. And, uh, yeah, I I expect the Cowboys to be still with one loss, three wins after Sunday. Why stop stop with Pearson? Why not get Staubach to call in? I remember – in the story, and we can get into it a little later, know him through his daughter, who Michelle, who studied uh, at SMU with us for the bar. But I don't have Roger's number. I do have Drew's. I was joking, but thank you for trying to at least make an effort, and uh, I appreciate that. That'll be uh, – that, that's, that's excellent. All right. Well, listen, it's been fun. Have a good call yes, tonight, sir. and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, Foss. Much love, home, El Paso finest going to the west side but el paso as a whole is the finest uh i love home i appreciate y'all thanks so much everybody have a great weekend stay safe and congrats to the upset over boise state i wanted to make that show miners baby yes sir there he is steve foster joining us as we wrap it up with him 17 in front of five o'clock come back with more in a moment right here 600 espn el paso Nine in front of five right now as we continue here on Sports Talk. If you want to weigh in, you can do so. 505-6009, that is our telephone number. Also, uh, message us on our mobile app. Easy ways to be part of the program today. And we got a good five o'clock hour. Especially since uh, we're going to get an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, tomorrow's UTEP game from the Charlotte perspective. And that is something that I am definitely looking forward to uh, because Reginald Walker Jr. is going to join us. He will be the uh, analyst for the game on ESPN3 tomorrow. uh, And that's about 30 minutes from now. So Reginald Walker uh, will join us and should be a very interesting conversation with him. Uh, Meanwhile... We've got football Friday night standing by at 6 tonight. We've got a huge night of uh, high school games. Adrian's going to Coronado, my alma mater, to watch Coronado Eastwood. That should be a lot of fun. Bo Bagley, Paul McKinnon going to be here in our Lubingo Studios giving you everything you need. And then at 8 o'clock, Tim Haggerty takes over your Eastern Division champs. So weird to say Eastern Division with the El Paso Chihuahuas, but that's the way it is. Uh, They're going to battle Reno tonight. One game, winner take all for the PCL title. And if the Chihuahuas win, they play 5 o'clock on Sunday right back here on this radio station against 
the International League champions. And uh, the International League uh, you know, has their big uh, matchup coming up, so that's tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing what happens here. Yeah, me too, Steve. This is just a, a real exciting weekend of minor league baseball. Uh, Chihuahua's headlining things tonight to get things started uh, against the Reno Aces. And it'll be lefty Jay Groom on the mound for El Paso, who's been awesome so far. I mean, just a, a guy who's emerged uh, among El Paso. And why do I feel like we're just going to see a lot of fireworks on both sides? I, with a team like the Chihuahuas that leads all of the minor league teams in runs, batting average, doubles, and hits, uh, we can see a lot of fireworks from the Chihuahuas tonight. Oh, yeah, we could. 100% we could. And then, you know, they will uh, play. If they win tonight, they play uh, the International League champ coming up Sunday at 5 in Vegas. Tim Haggerty will be back on the call. And if they win that, they win the, they win, they're the national champions of AAA baseball. Hang a banner for the Chihuahuas next season. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, a team that has hung many banners throughout their time, which has been so impressive just to know how dominant this organization has been over the years. And uh, another cool thing is people who want to watch it can actually watch this one for free on MILB TV uh, tonight to stream it. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Tim might be synced on that call as cool. well. I'm not sure. I'm not too sure about that, but he might be. I know it's also on MLB TV as well. Oh, great. So great MILB stuff. TV and MLB TV with tonight's game. That's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, we got one more hour to go. We're going to talk more about uh, the Charlotte 49ers in hour number two. Plus, we'll also talk some NFL and everything else uh, sports-wise right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Second hour underway, along with UTEP Zay, Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Zay, we haven't spoken to you much the last couple of days. My apologies. We've been slammed with guests and uh, just been the way it's going. Uh, question for you, man. How do you think the Myers are going to do tomorrow when they get a chance to battle it out with Charlotte? What are you thinking? I think it's going to be a fun one. I think the Miners and, and the 49ers are going to play a good one. I think Charlotte's offense is pretty good, so... I think the minor defense will have their work cut out for them. Yep, I agree with you. Uh, you expect a high-scoring game tomorrow? Um, I don't, actually. I, I think it'll be around, you know, uh, combined, you know, 60 points somewhere around there. That's still pretty high-scoring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's be I guess honest. you're right. That's yeah. 30 points apiece, so, or 34-27. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good scoring game. So you think it's going to be in the, like around 60 is your total? 
Yeah, but um, I think if you're the miners, you want to avoid doing that. I think you want to keep it like low scoring. If if you're UTEP. oh yeah, I agree. I, I mean, Utah wants to keep everybody low scoring. There's no doubt. And the question is going to be: Can they run the ball against Charlotte and keep that offense off the field? I mean, you'd hope so. I mean, Charlotte's giving up over 500 yards per game, and they, the the defense for Charlotte is just not good. So if they don't move the ball, um, on the you know if they don't run the ball good against Charlotte, well, who? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, Charlotte's defense is awful. We know that. Uh, it's almost like the Miners have the best defense in the league. Charlotte has the worst defense in the league. So I'm interested to see what happens. I, I really am. I'm interested to see if UTEP can break through and make things happen. I was over at uh, King's Barbecue yesterday having lunch, and Praise, uh, Ame- uh, Praise Amehule walked in and sat there, ate lunch, relaxed a little bit. And uh, I want to see Praise have a big game. I want to see Praise eat, man. We need to we need to feed Praise on the football field, Adrian. That needs to happen. I'm with you on that, Steve. Last week, uh, there was uh, I, I you know I was asking about the production of Praise, and uh, there was there were two plays that they pointed out to me where he was definitively held, like he was they held on to him. In one play, they almost like triple teamed him. So Praise has faced different things against offensive fronts. So I'm sure it's been frustrating for him getting off to a little bit more of a slow start production wise uh, but y- if you look at it from a perspective of uh, the offensive line is king on praise of Mehule, they're trying to take him out of the game well then it's up to the other guys like Jadrian Taylor like their interior defensive tackles yeah. like Keenan Stewart and Kelton Moss to also apply pressure so that they cannot focus two or three guys on one single player like praise it's true I mean let's be let's let's be real here part of the reason praise is not having the kind of dominant season like he's had in the past is teams have doubled and triple teamed him but you're right that should open up the door for one of his other defensive linemen to just feast and it hasn't happened yet no it hasn't and that's why they've brought in linebacker pressure so that's why you see Cal Wallerstedt currently lead this team in total sacks uh they brought Tyree Snyde in on certain plays and they even bring their safeties in on blitzes like Kobe Hilton will often rush the passer or you'll have uh Dennis Barnes kind of come in as a disguise but then blitz the the quarterback so you UTEP likes to throw multiple um blitzes at the at the opposing quarterbacks but I want to see the defensive line get some you know get some production on their end maybe we'll see more big plays from uh, Mo Westmoreland maybe he'll have uh, a, a good game tomorrow yeah great name because he's really emerged over the past couple weeks for the Miners uh, a transfer from Kilgore College uh, that Kilgore pipeline continues to do wonders for this UTEP football team uh last year was Davion Inyang two years ago it was Jadrian Taylor now it's Maurice Westmoreland who's really come on to the scene in a positive way so uh yeah he could be somebody who plugs he's a plug and play guy who rushes the passer and creates havoc for UTEP. Zay, who's your biggest key for tomorrow as far as UTEP's concerned? I'm gonna go with um I'm gonna go with Latresh Shelton now. Um I think I think I trust in Elijah Johnson as one of the boundary corners, but Latresh Shelton, you know, you want to see a little bit more out of him and he's gonna have his work cut out with him with uh Grant DuBose and um Victor Tucker. He's gonna have to guard one of them on the boundary. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. All right. I like it. I like it a lot. Adrian, what about you? 
You know, I'll take the opposite corner because I, I really like Elijah Johnson. I think this could be the first time we see uh, an interception from him. He leads the team currently in pass breakups. He's uh, he he's coming off a three pass breakup game against the Broncos, in which uh, you know that UTEP secondary, that UTEP defense held Boise State to under a hundred yards passing. So I, I look at Elijah Johnson as a huge key player in this one, especially in that secondary. What about you, Steve? I mean, I'll say it. I think Prey's a big key for this one. I really do. Despite the double and triple team. I think he needs to wreak some havoc uh, on Reynolds and have a really big uh, have a really big performance to get the UTEP defense a chance. So hopefully the defensive backs don't have to work overtime trying to contain all the big weapons that uh, that Reynolds has at his disposal. Yeah, if you ask, I'm sure if you ask UTEP's coaches and their and their defense, they'll say that UTEP's already gone up against some pretty solid offensive lines thus far. I mean, yeah. Oklahoma. Uh, you talk about New, even New Mexico State, which has a really good offensive line, despite what people think about their record and. and and things like that. Uh, Boise State coming in with a, a better offensive line, but regardless of anything like that, if Praise Mayhule is an NFL prospect like a lot of people think he is, uh, he's got to create production. Numbers don't lie, and, and teams will always look at things like his stats and his numbers when they evaluate him at a professional level. Game kicks off at 4 o'clock our time tomorrow. We'll have it for you at 600 ESPN El Paso. Countdown to kick off at 3. And UTEP first and 10 at 2.45 tomorrow. It's brought to you by Specs Wine Spirits and Finer Foods. Listen, we've talked about this a lot, folks, here on the show, but um, when it comes to tailgating, Specs is your one-stop shop. They've got you covered. First off, they've got lower prices on the largest selection in Texas, whether it's world-class wines, rare spirits, new craft beers, not to mention food, other great munchies, sauces. They've got that as well. Uh, pretty much anything you need, anything you need for your tailgate, you can get at Specs Wine Spirits and Finer Foods, Adrian. Yeah, I love Specs because whether you're watching UTEP football or you're watching NFL football on Sunday, Specs has you covered with lower prices on Texas's largest selection. And if you're looking to freshen up your happy hour skills with some new seasonal cocktails, you could just go online to specsonline.com for a ton of recipes handpicked by the Specs mixologist experts themselves. Not to mention, if you're looking for the closest Specs to you where you live, SpecsOnline.com, just go to their location finder and you will get the uh, nearest Specs and get you all ready for your tailgate fun. All right, uh, yesterday, Shohei Otani nearly threw a no-hitter for the Angels against the A's. Went to two outs in the eighth. And uh, there was a, a sharp ground ball hit to short, and uh, the Angels shortstop, um, you know, uh, couldn't uh, field it cleanly. Now, again, I, I have to say this because I thought it was a difficult play to begin with, and Levon Soto, it went off his glove, and then the next batter got a hit before um, Otani retired Shaylon Jaleers on the grounder to end the inning. Uh, listen, he was sensational. Otani. Um, I mean, he's doing it all. And here's the crazy thing, okay? I know Judge is going to probably break Maris when it's all said and done. Uh, but understand this. What Otani's doing this year is amazing. He's got 15 wins as a pitcher, tied for third in the American League. 213 strikeouts, third in the American League. A 2.35 ERA, that's fourth in the American League. Batting... He's got 34 home runs, that's 4th in the American League, and 94 RBIs, that's 6th in the American League. I mean, those are crazy numbers, and you know he won the MVP a year ago, and he's having a better year this year. 
Yeah, look at what he does just yesterday. I mean, strikes out 10 and 8 scoreless. Uh, he allows two hits um, and, and just does it with so much pizzazz. Like, he's got moxie. He's got swagger to him. He, he shows so much emotion when he's on the mound. I almost think, like, you know, what? what's the – everybody always asks, well, what, what is the thing that he might be better at, pitching or hitting? It, just from an outside perspective, I think the way that he uh, is on the mound, especially how fired up he gets after striking out a batter, I feel like Shohei Otani has way more emotion when it comes to pitching. He just he shows so much uh, life, so much emotion whenever he gets on the mound. And you know, I know he had uh, almost a perfect game against Houston on April twentieth, but uh, what he did last night was really special uh, against the A's. So what do we do here when it comes to the MVP? Because the truth is, is that as great a year as Judge is having, and he's carried the Yankees in the second half when they were struggling. Otani. Does it with his bat, and he does it on the mound. And you think about that, you know, we're not talking about a guy that that trots out every five or six days. We're talking about a guy that's in the lineup every night, either as a hitter or as a pitcher and a hitter. And as we've talked about at length with Gator Richard on the show, the president of the El Paso chapter of the Shohei Otani fan club, um, he is doing something that has never been done before. Because the truth is, you could say that Ruth did it, but Ruth left pitching when he started hitting bombs for the Red Sox and later on the Yankees. So the truth is, Ruth never doubled as a pitcher slash home run hitter the way Otani has. Never. So uh, what Shohei is doing right now is nothing short of sensational. I think this is a situation where you can't win either way. If uh, Judge gets the MVP, uh, the Shohei Otani side of things will show all his stats, every reason why he should have been MVP, and why this season and all the seasons that we see like this from Shohei Otani should never be taken for granted. Uh, on the on the flip side, if Shohei wins, uh, everybody will talk about Aaron Judge tying Robert Maris's record at 61, and if he eclipses that, uh, then he's you know uh, by baseball standards the home run leader. But it's just one of those things, in my opinion, where you can't satisfy people on both sides. There's going to be people upset on both ends. I just find it a real shame, Steve, that next Wednesday will like will be the last time uh, probably that we see Shohei Otani on the mound this year. They're not making the playoffs, of course. They've already been eliminated. That's just a shame that we won't see him in October. Uh, of course, we'll definitely see a plenty of uh, Aaron Judge. No, I'm with you. I think that's I think that's accurate. And and once again. Um, you know, uh, it's it's tough because um, Shohei last. Here's the thing I've been bringing up to a lot. Okay, and you got to think about this. What if what we're watching right now is something Shohei can sustain for the next five to ten years? Like, what if this just becomes the norm and he becomes a top five pitcher and a top five hitter every single season? Then what? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I feel like at that point, and and he already kind of is, but he will transition into being the face of baseball, and and I think he might already be there. I think maybe three years if he if he does this consistently year after year, will reflect back on twenty twenty two as hey, he's sustain he sustained this like success at, at the highest level of baseball, being the face of baseball at this point. Um, I I don't know, Steve. It seems like from your tone, it, you might be leaning a little bit toward Shohei just simply because this. This might not ever happen again uh, off what he's done this year. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking. Okay, so I'm just looking at Ruth, right? And again, it's not really fair because you're comparing 100 years ago. But in 19, um, in 1915, as a 20-year-old, Babe Ruth won 18 and 8 on the mound. Okay, then in 1916, he went 23 and 12. In 1917, he went 24 and 13. In 1918, he went 13 and 7. And in 1919, he went 9 and 5. Now, here's what's so interesting, okay? He started 40 games in 1916 as a 21-year-old, started 38 games in 1917 as a 22-year-old, but then started 19 games in 1918 and only 15 games in 1919. Why did he only start such few games the last two years? Well, because in 1918, he had 11 home runs, 61 RBIs, and then the following year, 29 home runs, 113 RBIs. Then he moved over to New York and banged 54 balls out of the yard in one season, and the legend was there. So the truth is, as Babe became a better hitter, they took away his pitching. Shohei's doing it both. I mean, that's what to me is so incredible. Now that you didn't have the designated hitter when Babe was was uh, was you know uh, on the mound, so the truth is, if he was batting, he would if he was pitching, he would have to hit anyway. He would have to be a hitting pitcher in nineteen twenty or whatever year it was. So I understand why he didn't hit, but or when he was he didn't pitch. But Shohei, I mean, come on, this is something that's never been done to this level before. Yeah, this is why you, you can't take a season like this for granted because we, we might never see this again or we might see this consistently from Shohei, but it still yep. should be celebrated despite the record of the Angels, despite how bad they've been all year long and the turmoil they've experienced, despite them not making the postseason, what Shohei Otani has done has been you know nothing short of remarkable. And Ruth never struck a ton of guys out. The most guys strikeouts he had was 170 in 323 innings. Wow. Wow, that's that's really interesting. It's like one every it's it's essentially one strikeout every two innings. Shohei's yeah. striking out more than one batter an inning. Yeah, he's killing it. He, yeah. I mean, look at what he did yesterday. Ten. When we return, we're going to talk about uh, Charlotte with Reginald Walker Jr. He'll be the analyst tomorrow on the ESPN three coverage of the game, which starts up at four o'clock. First, though, let's go to Charlie one. Get this traffic update. As the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Excited about having our next guest on the phone to join us. He will be uh, the game analyst tomorrow on the ESPN3 coverage of the Miners and the 49ers. I'm talking about Reginald Walker Jr. who joins us live here as we continue on Sports Talk. Reginald, good to have you on the show. We appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you guys so much. Shout out to all the people uh, in West Texas, El Paso. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but I hear it's actually a very, very beautiful place. So I, I'm gonna have to get that figured out. Well, first off, before we'd love to have you, Regin. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna lie to you. We would love to have you. But right now, we got to find out what uh, what's going on in Charlotte. I know the UTEP uh, charter touchdown less than two hours ago. Um, and made its way in. That was the biggest key. Can can the miners get there? They got there, which is important because the weather tomorrow is supposed to be a lot better than the weather right now. What's it like currently? For me, so let me give you guys a little bit of perspective. I live at the, essentially the extreme bottom southern part of Charlotte, where the game is going to be played, where the 49ers, the university, and the stadium, they are on the basically the extreme north side of town which, again, is further away from where the weather is coming from. There's also an airport up there. I'm not sure if, they, if, if the miners flew into Charlotte. 
Airport proper or Concord, Charlotte proper airport is more west. So, so weather-wise, it had been a little bit easier. And then Concord Airport is a little bit more north and a little bit to the west as well. So that's a little bit easier to get into also. For where I live, which I'm about 20, 22 miles or so from the campus, um, I'm getting some rain and some wind. But at this point, my neighborhood, my general uh area has not had a lot of power outage issues and not a lot of flooding. Now that could change overnight. Not sure how that's going to work. So right now the weather is not bad. It's just sort of a chilly rain that we're getting with some wind and some wind gusts. So by tomorrow, the thought is by game time, this thing may be completely out of here and we may have a, the track may not be dry to play, but we may not get any additional precipitation potentially during the game. That's huge. And by the way, uh, your location, it sounds to me, was that the part of town that was hit the worst or are there other areas that were hit worse than yours? More so east of, of where I am and east of downtown Charlotte proper had more of the issues because the storm is essentially to the southeast of us coming up the coast through Charleston and the like. So yeah. the eastern part of the city got it a little bit more than the western part of the city. Same bands but obviously a little bit further from the from the center of the storm, which made it a little bit easier on these parts of town. The flight was supposed to get into Concord, but I think they changed and actually landed in uh, in Charlotte International today, from what I gather. So, Which makes it a little bit easier there. It's a little bit more west, so they probably, given it a, a trying to do some basic math in my head, it's probably, if you're just talking due west, now it's not technically due west, a little more southwest, but if you're talking due west of the Concord Airport, you're probably talking about eight miles, give or take, more west than the Concord Airport. So that gives you a little bit more wiggle room to get that plane on the ground in that area as opposed to Concord. Well, the good news is they're in, and the good news is the weather is supposed to improve, uh, which really, if anything, will probably benefit Chris Reynolds and, and the Charlotte offense, right? Because had this game been in a rainstorm, which was originally predicted possibly by Saturday, we thought it was going to be nothing more than just uh, a, a game featuring uh, both teams running games, and that was it. And now that you know the weather might not be as bad, it could give uh, Reynolds an opportunity to throw the ball, which is something he's most comfortable with, and obviously Charlotte's offense is, is at their best when uh, when Reynolds and the receivers are all clicking. Absolutely. They're at their best when he's at the helm. Uh, he dealt with some injuries earlier in the year, came back against Georgia State, threw five touchdown passes. He was solid, especially early on against South Carolina last week. Now, that game got out of hand late. That oftentimes happens uh, in those types of situations. The receiver room for Charlotte is deep. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch, guys, because I actually, now I don't know about everybody else, I love this secondary from UTEP. There are a lot of guys that can make plays, whether you're talking about Kobe Hilton, different guys that make a lot of plays on this UTEP defense in the secondary. So I think it's going to be a very, very interesting game watching it from those angles because it, in a lot of ways, really, if you look at it both sides, it's going to kind of be strength against strength. The, the pass rush as well. For UTEP, I think it's strong when you think about uh, whether it's uh, Taylor on one side or Praise Amahule on the other side, two guys that can really get after the quarterback. They're going to play. UTEP's going to play 10, 11, 12 guys on that defensive front. Charlotte will do the same thing as well. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch from a Charlotte standpoint 
in their passing game, can they get the passing game going? Because this secondary, I think for UTEP, whether it's the Tyreek James as well, Dennis Barnes, those guys back there are really, really good football players. And you've got a deep receiver room for Charlotte as well. So you look at it from that standpoint, Charlotte's passing offensive strength. I think this pass defense of UTEP is a strength. And then on the other side, this is a UTEP team that wants to run the football a little bit more. Charlotte's struggling a little bit to stop the run, giving up almost six yards of carry. So strength versus strength on one part of it, and then you get a strength versus sort of a weakness on the other side. With uh, Charlotte and head coach Will Healy, uh, how, what, what, how would you characterize his run so far? Because after winning seven games in year one back in 2019, uh, the 49ers have kind of struggled to, to get back to that point, get back to a bowl game. How, how would you characterize his, his tenure so far? I would call it disturbed. I would say, because you think about it like this, and I'm not going to make excuses for them, uh, but at the end of the day, these are some facts, right? You come in first year, 2019, have a solid year, get to a bowl game. 2020, you're dealing with COVID. 2021, you're kind of dealing with COVID, and you've also got some injuries, and they had some roster math that they had to figure out as well because some COVID guys came back. Now you get to 2022, they're starting to settle the roster, but now they had a lot of changes on the defensive side from a coaching standpoint. So every time you turn around, there's a sort of a, a major tweak going on in this program every offseason because everything is not you know, simple and plain and been flat. And that, I think, has impacted the tenure. And then, uh, But the other side of it is that, that some of the issues have been consistent in terms of allowing big plays defensively, uh, which, is, which can really hurt you. And then when Chris Reynolds is not in there for this offense, they just look completely different. Well, I guess that there's also one constant we've seen. This team gives up a lot of points. And you mentioned the defensive turnover as far as the coaching staff goes. Um, you know, that's it, it's tough because it, it feels almost like against good teams with good offenses, it's going to be a shootout every week. No, that's exactly right. And, and the, it, which <laughs> from a, it's interesting you say that from a fan standpoint, they love that, right? They don't care if their team like. The Georgia State game, if that game were at Charlotte, the Charlotte fans would love that. 42-41, we're, we're all in for that. They're fine with that, right? Because it's easy to give up 41 points if you get 42 and win. It doesn't look good if you give up 56 points and you only score 20. And that's where they've got to be better is get some teams under control. And that's why I think when you look at Charlotte, it's going to be very, very important as they get now, just like UTEP, right, UTEP started the season with a conference game, then they played their four non-conference games. Charlotte did the exact same thing. Started with a conference game on the road, then they played their four non-conference games. Now you're back in the conference play. To me, if you're Charlotte, you better get the running game going early as you get going through this, the rest of this conference slate, and it better start on Saturday because you've got to start to find a way to establish and sustain long drives, which UTEP is very good at. I think they have – four drives over seven and a half minutes this season. Uh, and, and not all of those drives are the longest, are, are the ones that score touchdowns. There have been some field goals involved in that as well. But if Charlotte can start to find some of those drives and keep this defense off the field, I think that will help them in a lot of ways get this defense under control and start to control some of the other offenses that they're playing as well. More with Reginald Walker Jr. as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's get right back to Adrian. He's got a bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much as we keep things moving uh, here on Sports Talk. And 
uh, discuss uh, Charlotte uh, and and what to, to expect uh, come tomorrow as we continue with Reginald Walker Jr., who will be the game analyst uh, for the Miners uh, and the 49ers on ESPN3. Folks, very important. We let you know if you want to watch the game. It's uh, ESPN3. I noticed so far this year that uh, Charlotte is giving up uh, a pretty good chunk of uh, rushing yards per game. You see 253 uh, per game. Is that number misleading, or have they just really struggled week after week stopping the run? It's a, it, yes, they have struggled. Um, and, and it really it, it, it was an issue last year as well. I think there are two factors to it. I think, number one, at times they're, they're just – struggling to get their run fits organized and guys are sometimes running into the same gap and then leaving a gap free. They've got to get that cleaned up. And then if you look at this football team, and I, and I mean this respectfully, I love these kids. They're good kids uh, on both teams. But I think Charlotte, in a way, they're a little bit undersized at the point of attack. You look at the defensive ends, neither one of them is more than 250 pounds. They don't have a 300-pounder in the middle. Um, Their linebackers, neither of those guys, well, Prince Bima, uh, number 25, he's about 230 pounds. The other guys are sub-215. So they're not a big group up front, which means if everybody's not getting to the football and you have the ability to run through some arm tackles, all of a sudden you're into the secondary and now it's a foot race. And I think that's part of what the issues have been for this defense. That's really interesting uh, because as we saw against Boise, uh, UTEP pretty much uh, just flipped the script on their offense. They went from putting the ball in the air 40 times a game like they had previously to 11 attempts and running the ball, and they didn't even seem to care if they weren't you know, averaging seven, eight yards a carry. They just wanted to grind it out, and they completely wore down the Boise defense. And that's going to be the interesting part to me in this football game, Reginald, is will the Miners be able to uh, get enough ground control where, as you said, they can hammer out those six, seven, eight, nine-minute drives and just try to wear down that Charlotte defense over the course of four quarters? I think that's the goal. And, I, and when I talked to Coach Demo earlier this week, you know, he talked about how they flipped the script on their offense and how they want to run the football. And I, I'll tell you this, too. You think about this tandem in the backfield, and, and, and we'll get to, to Ray Flores in a minute, but just Ronald Awok and Deion Hankins. When Hankins comes through there, guys got to make business decisions at 225 pounds. Guys squat 600 pounds, 650 pounds. Well, they stop them at that amount. So he probably squats more than that, talking about Hankins. That's going to be an issue for this defense. And then, oh, by the way, you look at this offensive line, based on what I've, I understand the guys that are going to start to be, you've only got one guy that's under 300 pounds. And when you look at their two deep, that's the only guy of 10 offensive linemen that could potentially see the field that's under 300 pounds. So you've got a big, physical offensive line that a lot of guys have played a lot of snaps, some guys at junior college, some guys obviously uh, coming out of high school and then playing at UTEP for a number of years. You've got a veteran group that's big and physical, and you've got a defensive front of Charlotte that's not as big. Now, they'll play nine, ten defensive linemen as well, but that's going to be important that they get production out of all nine or ten of those guys because this offensive line, if they lean on you the whole time, and then, oh, by the way, you've got Awad at 210 pounds beating up on you, and then here comes Hankins at 225 pounds beating up on you. By the fourth quarter, it starts to get tough. And if you really go back and look at it, if you look at the William & Mary game, an FCS opponent that came in here and beat Charlotte, in the fourth quarter, 
they had worn this Charlotte defense down, and they took control of the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, the talk of the town locally has really been about UTEP's record when they play in the Eastern time zone. 0-26-1 is UTEP all-time in Eastern time zone games. Uh, has that been talked about at all on the Charlotte side of things, UTEP coming in with a little fire trying to break that streak? I'll be honest. I've heard a little bit about it, and, and me as a such a football purist, uh, my first response is, well, the game's at 6 o'clock Eastern, which is 4 o'clock Mountain Time. I think they'll be fine. I expect them to show up and be ready to play. That's number one. And then I think number two, I, I think sometimes those kinds of stats, they're very important, and, they, and, they, make, and, and they, they make your ears perk up. But at the end of the day, I also think that this is a group of players uh, from UTEP that's probably heard that stat, and they want to be the group that goes and breaks that yep. streak. And now this on the other side of it, this is a Charlotte team that's looking for something positive. They want to get a win at home in conference play to start building some momentum. I think this game has a chance to be a really, really good one. As I said, it's going to be strength versus strength in some ways. So I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Does uh, Reynolds like uh, and the offense like a very up tempo, um, you know, passing game where they uh, essentially do a lot of no huddle and try to catch defenses, uh, you know, when they're not really to set up, or is this more of the conventional offense we're going to see tomorrow? No, you'll get a little bit of both. They'll go conventional at times, but at times they'll speed it up, uh, like a lot of programs that we see in college football. I don't think this is this is anything hidden. A lot of programs, they like to go fast when they get big plays because they've got a personnel group defensively on the field that they feel like they can attack. They just got a big play. They've got maybe a defense that's kind of mentally struggling for a minute. So that's when they'll go faster at times. So you'll see a little bit of both. Chris Reynolds is a guy that's always under control. He's always focused on what's happening, and, and, and he keeps everything calm. That's what when The one thing I want fans to understand and, and pay attention to when they see Chris Reynolds in the pocket, he never gets sped up. He's poised. He's patient. He understands where everybody's supposed to be. And 99 times out of 100, he's going to make the right decision. Three receivers are all um, you know, very highly, uh, highly regarded receivers. You've got Victor Tucker, who's 6 feet, Elijah Spencer, who's 6'2", and Grant DuBose, who's 6'3". Of those three, who's the most dangerous? That's a tough question. I think probably, I'll say it this way. I think Grant DuBose is probably the most complete. Victor Tucker is, is a technician, route runner, really understands where to be. He's going to make every catch. Grant DuBose makes a lot of spectacular big plays. But I think the guy you better watch is number nine, Elijah Spencer. And the reason why oftentimes he's in the slot, he's almost 200 pounds at 6'1". He's big, he's physical, and he's fearless over the middle. And, oh, by the way, oftentimes he's matched up with safeties or nickels, guys that he's generally able to beat. That's why I think he's so dangerous because he's a walking matchup nightmare because he's considered, per se, the third receiver out of that group. If there's a weakness we've seen from the UTEP defense at times, it's uh, being able to stop and contain the run. I know that's not Charlotte's strength, but between Shadrick Bird and uh, uh, Siobhan uh, McEacher, and you tell me, who's uh, most the most dangerous back uh, in their lineup? I would say McEachern is probably the most talented. He's a little bit younger, so he's got to figure out how to be better and play more consistent. But he's starting to figure that out. Calvin Camp's the sort of the veteran in the room, understands their offense as well, number two. Uh, not sure. He hasn't played a lot this year, so not sure how much we'll see him 
But they've got three backs that, that do it a little bit differently. Shad Bird, uh, he, he'll run it up inside, and then he's got the speed to take off. McEachern will look to get outside a little bit more often. So three sort of different type of backs, but the thing about them is they can all catch the football out of the backfield and do some damage with it. But that's something that's got to be, in my opinion, a point of emphasis for Charlotte going into this game tomorrow is they've got to find a way to start running the football because you can't ask Chris Reynolds to give you five touchdowns and 400 yards every single night if you're going to win games in the conference. Such good stuff from Reginald Walker Jr. He'll be in the booth with Bobby Rosinski calling the game tomorrow on ESPN3. Hannah Bradley will be on the sideline to complete the crew uh, for the Miners in Charlotte at uh, 4 o'clock. Again, ESPN3 for us to catch that game uh, here in El Paso. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much, Reginald, and it uh, should be a fun one tomorrow. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a great one. We thank you guys very, very much. We appreciate you and uh Glad that the Miners were able to get in here safely and uh, look forward to a good one tomorrow. We do as well. That's Reginald Walker Jr., folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back, wrap things up, get you ready for our high school football coverage uh, starting at 6 o'clock with Football Friday Night. Bo Bagley, Paul McKinnon coming up here on 600 ESPN El Paso.